Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the unexpectedly good lesson on unicorns of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who have never, not once, been prosecuted for practicing inappropriate charms on goats. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer, one of whom is trying to make sure that that last statement was accurate. How are you all doing? Uh, you're trying to, to goad him into saying something he wouldn't otherwise. <laughs> I'm going to choose to plead whatever the Harry Potter equivalent of the Fifth Amendment is and just move on with the conversation. I think that's called pleading Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Perfect. Um, so here we are uh, on this, the, I don't know what number chapter we're on, the 25th? 24th. 24th yep. chapter of Manger Reads, uh, or of, good lord, of Pottering Around. We are on the fourth book of Harry Potter. We're in the Goblet of Fire. We're on the 24th chapter. I do know that it is called Rita Skeeter Scoop. Yay! And um, we have done this a lot, and yet here we are. Always um, feels fresh. We uh, we have some segments that we do here. Uh, we have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. Uh, we award house points, and then there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. Um... I imagine there are going to be some this chapter <laughs> that I'm going to be uncomfortable with. It's fine. It's fine. It's we always have, fun to discuss. Ch- we have or, one. We have one character who questions the <laughs> more or less comfortable than the goats. Uh, what G- TBD? I suppose. <laughs> so, um, sound like a game well, plan. It does. Good. Uh, now, sir, this is a shorter chapter than some of the last ones have been. It actually, it though, is. Though there is still a fair bit going on. Uh, do you have a guess what you're going for this time? Is it just under two minutes or do you have a goal? No, I do have a goal. I think it's going to be, it is a little bit of a shorter chapter. And we are most, mostly focused on one thing um, yeah. throughout this chapter, as opposed to like several of the previous ones that had four <laughs> separate plot lines going on in them. True, true. Um, so I'm actually going to go um, a little shorter on this one, too. I'm going to put my bet at one minute, one minute and 50 seconds. All right. Go and see. Um, although if the problems with my intro are any indication, we might just end up at 2.30. Um, also TBD, I suppose. Uh, do you well, have a stopwatch this week, Spencer? Hey! Perfect. Success. <laughs> I arrived home and I arrived home just in time to yell out, "Find me the stopwatch! I have things to do." And <laughs> it, it was found. <laughs> Apparently, that kind of declaration gets done in this household. All right. Well, so stopwatch is ready. We have a goal. You have a script. Are you ready to go? I guess. Uh, now, don't forget the pizza. Yes. There's an uneasy truce between Ron and Hermione. The date of the second task is looking a lot closer to Harry on this side of Christmas, and he still doesn't really know about this egg. Really, he thinks Cedric should have been more helpful. When classes start again, Hagrid's not in care of magical creatures. Professor Grubblyplank says he's indisposed and shows them a unicorn. Malfoy shows them the Daily Prophet, which has Rita Skeeter's titular scoop. After taking a go at Moody, she sets her sights on Hagrid, his expulsion and his promotion to teacher, complete with an interview with Malfoy about the hippogriff attack and some out-of-context quotes from Hagrid about the 
Scroots. Worse, though, she reveals that Hagrid's mother was the giantess Fridwulfa, and she has things to say about giants, as well as Hagrid's friendship with Harry. What they can't figure out, though, is how Rita found out. She was nowhere near the Hagrid-Maxime debacle over Christmas. They're also pretty annoyed that the unicorn lesson was really good, even Hermione thinks so, but of course she wants him back. They try to find Hagrid, but he's not answering his door and isn't seen for a week. Harry continues lying about working on the egg. Chrome is seen swimming in a lake in January. On a Hogsmeade trip, they still don't see Hagrid, but Bagman's at the Three Broomsticks having a furtive meeting with goblins. But he corners Harry and admits the goblins are looking for Barty Crouch, who's been gone for weeks. And so now they're looking for him and Bertha Jorkins. Uh, Bagman also offers to help Harry again, but he demurs. Bagman makes a quick exit to avoid Fred and George. Skeeter comes in with her photographer, and uh, Harry and Hermione go after her. She drops some hints about Bagman, but they hightail it out of their Hermione bowing to get her own back. They go back determined to talk to Hagrid, but find Dumbledore in his hut. He also seems to be trying to comfort Hagrid, who is a mess. They all tell him that no one cares about his parents and that most of the school parents have rallied around him. They finally get through to him, and Hagrid brings out a picture of his dad who died when he was in his second year. Dumbledore got him the gamekeeper job. Hagrid, who sees something of himself in Harry, would love to win the tournament, and Harry's lies about solving the egg are making him more miserable than ever. Very well good. done. Yeah. 148. Thank you. Thank you. So, like, actually, this was a pretty straightforward chapter uh, yeah, to be going through. Hagrid is troubled. <laughs> Hagrid's troubled, but I'm glad we got to see this. Yes. We, we talked about the last episode that it, with how gripping and painful of a scene that was, that was last chapter for Hagrid, it would be really disappointing if they just swept that under the rug, didn't come back to it mm-hmm. for a while, or at all. Uh, no, Rita, Rita Skeeter is on the case. Rita Skeeter doubled down in a way I didn't think was possible. <laughs> Yeah, she really? uh, she will turn on a dime real fast. I don't know. I, this didn't surprise me. Um, well, no, it's perfectly in character. I just wasn't expecting this from her in this given moment. Gotcha. Um, but, BJ. BJ. Um, so, Sarah, I have a, a, a question about commas. It's and not time for questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do, I, do I need my book for this? Uh, need is a strong word. I'm just going to read it to you and, and, and tell you where commas are. And then okay. you're going to just, you know, have to deal React. with it. <laughs> okay. And so the first day of the new term arrived, comma, and Harry set off to lessons, comma, weighed down with books, comma, parchment, comma, and quills as usual, comma, but also with the lurking worry of the egg heavy in his stomach, comma, as though he were carrying that around with him, too. I mean, it's not incorrect. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe she ran out of semicolons. She used up her, her, her yeah. allotment. And then she's like, all right, well, I just have co- commas to deal with. Um, so clearly this was a late addition to the chapter because we do have a lot of semicolons in this chapter too. Not uh, as well, many yes. as some others. Um, yes, but if this was done in the rewrite, then she might have been yeah. out. Um, especially if it you know, was within the same year. Fair. Um, it is kind of impressive to use that many commas, you know, having an Oxford comma and, and so many interesting clause, uh, subclauses and all those other things. Um, I, I am reminded of English teachers and professors that, that like to tell me that I tortured the English language with how I, I presented some of my thoughts and the number of commas I used to do so. Little did you know you had somewhere you could point to. And be like, this is so much worse. Why are you bothering me? This is published. Um, I, I have I have increasingly been noticing in my own writing, BJ, that I am I am given towards 
a, a number of asides in the same sentence, and I am I am conscious of my punctuation as I <laughs> attempt to delineate which clause goes with which. I'm not sure it's better, but I've used more parentheses. The frustrating thing with me, BJ, and your advice is your advice is perfectly on point, but I engage in legal writing. I exist for the purpose of just repeatedly using the same damn punctuation over and over again because it makes people feel comfortable. I'm not saying you should change how you do things or, you know, overuse per se of, of, of punctuation within the same sentence is, is a bad thing. I've been known to do so, but um, that there is rarely a time that a period is, is not for wanted with, with that many clauses. <laughs> well, um... You will you will not be a beta reader for my book. BJ. Oh, I'm going to be an alpha reader, and I'm going to have so much fun looking at the punctuation. The other thing that I will say is the number of times that Outlook seems to have decided that semicolons are needed in my emails is really starting to amuse me. Um, the technology, the technology gods are returning your wisdom, BJ. Yes, the, well. Somebody needs to use up the allotment of something colons this year, and it's not J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, Grubbly Plank is interesting. Um, the character or the name? Yes. Uh, <laughs> much, much more the name than the character. The character seems flat. Um, I, I sort of... I am almost positive this is going to be in the movie and ha basically has an extra... Um, but, you know, there's nothing here. Um, anyway, uh, to your point, Sarah, I, I, I did think Hermione, I read Hermione slightly differently as a, I really want a good class, but I, Hagrid is our friend, so I guess we should have him back so he's happy, but this is not what makes me happy. Y yes. Um, which is a, like... I don't know if I, I've decided that it's disappointing or not, but it, it just feels a leaning a little bit too much uh, into her, I'm, I need all of the classes uh, part of her character. Well, I don't know. They have been doing, doing like, scroots that have been killing each other for months at this point. So, like, I don't know that... And on that point, the idea we that... questions about scroots and okay. other uh, magical creatures. But, um, yeah, you know, fair enough. Um, I'm not sure if I am willing to, to go along with the lazy magical things that, that are in this chapter, namely Skelligro and, uh, Sleekeasy, I think it was. Well, we've seen Skelligro before. We have, with Harry's bones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying, Tun Tun Toffee is entertaining. This just seems like... A bad uh, infomercial, and what? I I actually enjoy that it seems that wizarding spells were invented by a 1950s marketing department in terms of just the style of presentation. It just, it, as you said, it just screams late night TV in terms of how where these names come from. I yeah. I, I think I actually agree, which is, and it's not just like my sort of defense of a lot of stuff in this world against things that BJ says. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I could see that that might be what you think I'm doing here. It's actually not in this moment. Um, but I do. What I like about it is that they actually it's consistent because this is like the same type of product that we were seeing in the advertising at the World Cup. And yeah. so like mm -hmm. it seems to be just like a thing 
that happens like the aesthetic that the wizarding world has put onto how they deal with products seems to be sort of 1950s um it kind of women's magazine yeah it's like everything is advertising to housewives uh-huh. it's like all spells are designed for that one demographic mm-hmm. i mean because so, everybody else works at the ministry of magic so sure <laughs> there we go um yeah like fair enough i guess it's I want them to be a little bit more entertaining, uh, but but I do I do agree and appreciate that it is consistent at least, um, and and there is an aesthetic, um, and and I feel like the movies would have like a good uh, thing going along with it with the aesthetic if they mm-hmm. have like the pictures to go along with it that look appropriate. Yeah, um, it still bothers me that ickle is a thing. Um, <laughs> And I know we had this before with uh, the Dursleys. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's weird. I think you're um, going to have to take that up with the British. I don't know what to tell you. I know. Like, I, like, I get that it's a thing. Like, I actually ha- like, I've never heard it before, even having consumed a reasonable amount of British TV and stuff like that. Or maybe I, I just like, ignored it. I don't it. think I, I have either, quite honestly, because it sounds weird every time you say it out loud. And I can't decide if that's because it sounds weird or because you sound weird saying it. I, well, I don't know how to not sound weird in saying it. Maybe you want to give it a go. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Is that not how they say it in like the audiobook or, or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> Do they say it in the movies? No. Okay, <laughs> well then it's clearly just not a thing. Um, I mean, the, la- the last thing that, that I'm kind of amused, and I'm not sure if I believe this, but Dumbledore's whole interaction, it's like, it's very Dumbledore, kind of entertaining. And does he actually have a brother is where, where I'm trying to like come down. And I like that I have experienced his character enough to believe that he 100% doesn't have this brother. This is just something completely made up because because why not? Uh, we do we do have an answer to this. Would you like the answer to this or would you like to find this out on your own? I I don't want the answer because he has a real brother. <laughs> he wants his and theories. Fine, and that's just boring. Don't mess so, with his canon, Sarah. Listen. He does have a brother. It is Aberforth and his depiction of Aberforth is not wrong, so trust me, it's not boring. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I do, I'm going to read a sentence, and then we can move on to newbie's notes without discussing the sentence that I'm going to read, but it needs to hang be there. read. Okay. okay. I'm not bothering her no more. I promise you that. Big bones. I'll give her big bones. And Spencer... Uh, on to newbie's notes. You, you're just the master of the transition, BJ, I gotta say. Uh, well, first point for me, I really appreciate Hermione calling out how, why exactly the rest of the world is shocked by the revelation that, her, that Hagrid is a half-giant. Because everybody else is acting like this is entirely indecipherable information. No way anybody could have known. Dear God, how did Rita Skeeter find this out? And Hermione's just like, well, he's really damn tall. So I kind of had suspicions... And he's not as tall as a giant, but he's not as tall as... He's taller than a person, and he's somewhere in between. The language just kind of completes itself. Uh, yeah, but, but I do feel like this is the first time that we get actual heights on, uh, giants, on Hagrid. Yeah. So 
I also kind of feel like this was might have been J.K. Rowling committing to like what what this is mm-hmm. rather than you know what might have been up in the air. So I agree with you, but I think there might be a reason because I you know we we got that he was hulking before and large. We didn't get that he was like eight feet tall at eleven, mm-hmm. which. Fair enough. I, th- I think we heard back in the first book that he was like nine something feet tall or whatever else. But it, it has been a while since we got any descriptors like that. Uh, one, one little, uh, you know, personal interpretation I had is it seems that everybody in the wizarding world is shocked about this. But Hermione's only, you know, vaguely now entering the wizarding world. So maybe it's this thing of just wizards are just used to people just being randomly super tall due to, ma- due to random magical effects. And they don't necessarily default to probably giant. Now, that still leaves open the, it still has the problem of Harry, but Harry's just such a dip sometimes, maybe he just didn't think about it. So, theory still possibly stands. Harry is not noticed, about, yeah. Or he didn't know about giants. Like, where, like That's also tr- possible, because, like, he didn't really know about dragons until he was Harry told dragon was a, dragons was, were a thing. Yeah. Also, the, Harry, the amount of interest that Harry seems to have in a world that is actively trying to kill him at times, and supposedly fascinating to him is really it it might be on brand for his age but it's still a little weird i I would also like you know we have talked a lot about sort of hagrid in this chapter and we will continue to do so because that is mostly what the chapter is about but the subplot to this chapter were that there to be one is the chapter in which harry has a thing he could do to figure out the egg and spends exactly zero time doing it Yeah, I got that one on my list. I mean, he's like a chicken that refuses to lay on its egg. I mean, <laughs> that you have one thing to do. Why aren't you doing it? And sometimes they need to just... Hermione keeps trying to push this egg under Harry. To, to the point that Harry has to just keep lying about where the, where exactly the egg is relative to his down just to avoid the conversation. Uh, I mean, it's a. I think it's... Actually, did Harry tell Hermione what the advice from Cedric was? No. Because I think if... He did. She would have thrown him into a bath. Just dragged him. This is what frustrates me about this. You guys know I'm rather dim at times, but even I was able to take that advice and go, well, that's just crystal clear. Take the egg into water. Victory. It's not not many steps here. But meanwhile, Harry's looking at this going, yeah, Cedric, that bastard. He didn't give me straightforward advice. He just said, take it in the bathroom. What does one do there? Just, Just... Put it on the sink? I don't know. Spencer, you, you've you spent so much time, you know, like, looking at things and learning things. Like, I would say that you're you're just a hard-boiled reader, and, and you, you know, like, how to approach these things. And and Harry is, you know, a little bit more wobbly on, on it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Thank you for that excellent advice, BJ. Um, one other thing I really enjoyed about Hermione early in this chapter, too, is that she's Hermione's running on a certain degree of call-outs this entire chapter. Another thing she just kind of points out, too, is that, oh, yeah, uh, wizard, wizardly racism towards other species? Far more extensive than you thought. Mm-hmm. Giants? Sure. Werewolves? Totally. Wholesale eradication? Basic policy. <laughs> also, I do like that, that Ron is kind of turning his character around and it's like, I'm not going to be overtly racist because I kind of have a crush. <laughs> It, this is growth. This is growth. It's something. That's growth? That's the word we're going with? That he's just not actively trying to rebuff her when she's pointing out wholesale bigotry and genocide? Uh, it's a step. <laughs> he 
Yes, sure. It is a step of a flea on top of a mouse, but yes, it counts. I don't know, Spencer. I'm living in America in 2021. This seems better. <laughs> okay, forward momentum still still should be complimented. I'll give you that. Uh, as you said, Harry's unbearable when it comes to interpreting the advice, but it, it seemed to be heavily steeped in the fact that he just hates Cedric right now, and so the fact that it came from Cedric means that it can never be considered. I mean... This man could actively be giving him a glass of water when he's dying of dehydration and he would still question whether it was bottled or not. I mean, Cedric has done the worst possible thing that anybody has ever done to Harry in his <laughs> entire history, which is... He asked out the girl first. <laughs> exactly. That Harry had absolutely no plan on asking out, basically, until she was already asked out. I enjoy that Harry and Ron are still very much wearing these hats that they had back from the Yule Ball because, you know, Harry's doing this. He's actively ignoring advice that will probably keep him alive till tomorrow kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ron is taking the elaborate figure that he loved and just ripped the arm off it and tossed it under his bed. Because yes. <laughs> he's so pissed that Crumb took Hermione on a date. <laughs> How dare he? These are petty little people. Also interesting uh that... We finally get a little bit more of a description of Crumb, and it's oddly sparse, as <laughs> as one might expect, that it isn't nose-based. Um, one thing I, I... BJ, you actually mentioned this about the temporary professor, but I really actually enjoyed this character for how normal she is. Mm -hmm. She comes across as so damn weird, because she's just a teacher and she does a good job. And that's the weirdest damn thing for this school that, oh my god, this person isn't quirky, other than a weird name. They're delivering quality information in a digestible format without any risk of imminent death or punishment. I don't know how to take this, but I want more of it. It's the response of all the students to having an actual honest-to-god teacher instead of whatever else passes for it at Hogwarts. And that abuses me. Uh, Rita Skeeter's hatchet piece is... Very herb that still caught me off guard just because we got a bit of a delay about it. They gave us enough of a delay that we kind of forgot that it was at, like still pending or still a possibility. Mm -hmm. We had Hagrid say that everything went fine. It seemed like she was thwarted, but that's just me being the over-optimistic fool that I am when in reality, just the mere presence of facts gives Rita Skeever the opportunity to make an elaborate narrative about it. I just want to say you were forewarned. This is the one of the few times that Sarah basically said, spoiler, we do get to see the article. Yes. Wasn't expecting it to go this in on this target, though, in this particular manner, of where this is a hatchet piece directed specifically at Hagrid, and everybody that ever allowed Hagrid to assume this position. Mm -hmm. And like any good <laughs> teardown Palmaic, it's grounded in facts. They're worked in all kinds of fun ways, but a lot of the key points she hits are totally true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes it all the worse. Because it makes it a lot harder to dismiss, even though there's a elaborate creative work done with them. Uh, I also, of course, Malfoy helped. Of yes. course. Mm -hmm. Why would I have ever, ever suspected that wouldn't happen when it came to this article? Uh, it's interesting to find out the name of Hagrid's mom. I don't know. I don't think we learned that past chapter. No. Uh, this is Fred new. Wolfa? Mm -hmm. This is new information. And then we got a lot of information that differed a bit from what we heard last chapter, or the last couple chapters about giants that. According to Rita Skeeter's account, which I'm assuming this is the popular ministry's account of what exactly happened, uh, the giants mostly eradicated themselves through infighting. Ooh, they all, they all, they all eradicated themselves. No, we were in no way involved. 
And then the survivors joined Voldemort, and so they all had to be killed. Ooh, yeah, this is what happened. And accusing them also of mass muggle killings, which that one hasn't come up before. This is a lot of information that I'm going to ask you questions here shortly, Sarah, because it seems like very much a government account to justify other events that occurred, rather than necessarily some you know, matching with what we heard previously. It sounds a little bit more accurate. Uh, also interesting, oh. like, the amount that he who must be not named is thrown in here. Yeah. I think it's he one, who must like, be not named the, is not named. You know, the, the largest references that we get to... Voldemort period but also I mean we have a little bit like every so often about he who must not be named but you know as as often we have a little bit of foreshadowing and also Spencer as you mentioned it's kind of interesting that this uh stand in for the Nazis would have accepted a, a very other uh group into it um and so I like with the amount of facts in the piece, it this was a little tough to swallow, um, but it's, I'm it's sure we'll find thing, out eventually. It's one of those things where even people who are obsessed with purity have a natural inclination to bring in other people for their cause, just so long as they know what their station is. Like, the Nazis loved yeah. employing non-Germans in the friggin' Waffen-SS. Doesn't always have to make a lick of sense. Sure. I'm, sure, I'm sure from Voldemort's perspective, so long as they didn't interfere with the idea that pure blood should be on top, Perfectly fine that they exist in a slave-like fallow state, but, you know, sure. And I will say that, like, this, this, regardless of the kind of specific veracity of what she's saying about this situation, it is kind of the most, really the most information we've gotten about how Voldemort might have been, like, actually amassing support and functioning in the wider world other than just a sort of coterie of Death Eaters in mm -hmm. his inner circle, which, like, we have never really gotten an indication of how that might happen before. So this little article is doing a lot of work for us. No, yeah. No, it's one of the things, though it's an evil little article that's, that's directed at a very nice person that doesn't deserve this, I was fascinated by this and loved this addition to the text just for how much it damn well taught us. As you mm -hmm. said, Sarah, it makes a lot of the actual logistics behind what Voldemort did feel much more real and grounded in terms of the actual moving pieces of it all. Right. I mean... I'm willing to believe there were actually significant giants involved in his effort. I, I, that actually seems perfectly plausible. Uh, and just now realizing that's a possibility and that he was using those kind of moving forces rather than just this amorphous term of Death Eaters makes it feel a lot more real. Also, like, I thought we had before that the Death Eaters was sort of a, maybe not just like all of his supporters, but like the uh, armband wearing supporters, shall yes. we say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Kind of like, yeah. Like, the people actually at the... Rallies. Rallies. Yeah. Mm, mm. The people dressed appropriately for the rallies, yes. let's say. Um. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, there's, there's at least one further Hermione call out here, which I adored, is that, you know, Ron and Harry start tearing into Rita Skeeter. Oh my God, she must have been eavesdropping on Hagrid when Hagrid was barring his soul. And Ron, Hermione's like, oh, kind of like y'all were? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, you know, the whole cloak thing that you're always with and always watching people with? It's like, yes, but we didn't do that on purpose, so... <laughs> So it's fine. L lamest possible defense they've ever uttered, and that's saying something. Spencer, it's okay. Uh, uh, Hogwarts is a one-party consent school. Apparently, that's how it works. Uh, in terms of unforgivable lines, though, Ron referring to Hagrid as a stupid prat really was a l weird low blow and mean line. Ron just every now and then just offers those, and like someone slapped that kid a little. That's just not something you should say. 
Uh, the Bagman Goblin meeting was interesting to unpack because there's a lot about it that doesn't seem to make sense, and the text seems to want us to believe it didn't make full sense. I mean, like, just started that he's framing this that he's entirely incompetent, doesn't speak the language, and then proceeds to describe in detail exactly what the goblins were telling him and what they were there for and what they were investigating and who they're looking for. Which, sure, maybe those can square, maybe he parsed them out, but they seem like they don't perfectly match. It's also his, you know, I could barely understand them. I, you know, I was just sitting there and they were talking to me. But when Harry walks in, it's Bagman talking very quietly, detail rapidly with them. And then he tries to immediately come over and disassociate from them and not have anybody eavesdrop them. And the moment that he sees somebody he recognizes, walk in. Yeah. We had a lot of evidence that Bagman's been hiding something for a lot of chapters. Mm-hmm. But, sorry, BJ. Yeah, I was going to say, it, he says that he doesn't speak Goblin and... They, like, their sign communications are weird, but they also run the banks. I think they speak yeah. English. <laughs> right. So, they so just it's choose just like, not to. They're the French. That, I, I imagine that this is the same as, like, I don't really speak, uh, you know, choose an Indian dialect. And it's just like, okay, but, like, that's not... <laughs> That doesn't that that doesn't, doesn't matter at all. Oh, like their head yeah. gestures are different. Okay, but like they speak perfect English, probably better than yours. So <laughs> all of all of the things that you're saying aren't really helpful. I think Bagman is just trying to get not have more questions asked in this situation. No, no more questions. No more questions. Yeah. What were they talking about? I didn't understand them. Nope. Didn't understand them. I was just in the conversation. Had no idea what they were discussing. So about <laughs> you, let's talk about you. Can we talk about you and the egg again? Because man, he really wants to help Harry cheat. Mm-hmm. Really, really wants Harry to get to the next step. Really, really eager for Harry to continue on with this tournament. Are there bad things uh, coming that maybe he wants Harry to yes. survive? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Now, he, he he wants Harry to get through this to the end for evil purposes, to the point that it's becoming increasingly obvious to me that Bagman was the one that arranged for Harry's name to get in the cup. This is this had, man had the ability, he had the control, he had the positioning, and apparently he had a motive. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm, put, I'm putting Bagman in in the conservatory with the wrench in terms of solving this clue mystery. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's the funding that Voldemort needs to, to you know, come out and, and hire everybody else. I mean, why else would, would he be talking with goblins? Sure, maybe. Or maybe, or maybe you know, factoring in what we just learned about giants that he's trying to coordinate another goblin revolt to happen contemporaneously. Who knows? You could take down Whatever the entire else. wizarding uh, economy. Economy in one blow. <laughs> Whatever else, he's been acting weird ever since he saw Voldemort's sim- you know, sigil in the sky, and none of that's changed since, and all this just seems to be factoring into that narrative. Um, but... He definitely is eager to help Harry cheat and is kind of put off that Harry isn't, which leaves me to have fun questions about what kind of sportsman uh, Bagman was back in the day. You're not cheating? How do you think this is played, son? Um, I, I find it interesting that Ron has absolutely no reason to be a dick to Cedric Diggory. To, <laughs> other, than, other than that Harry hates him. He doesn't really know that Harry hates him or why, because they've never had that conversation on camera. But maybe he just instinctually feels that his friend hates somebody, and so he just kind of starts flowing in that, oh, well, why would he help? Why would he help Cedric cheat? Just let that guy die. That's fine. Ron's an interesting dude. I'm just Ron, gonna say that now. Ron has spent this entire book on an apology tour for one thing or another, <laughs> and now he's just doing like a whole bunch of other questionable stuff, trying to make it up to Harry and Hermione. <laughs> Um, I enjoy Hermione's shifting opinion of house elves, just how frustrated she was they didn't appreciate her efforts. 
Now she is so college white girl saying, well, they just don't know what freedom is. They, they, they don't appreciate it. I did, I did everything for them. It was just on them that they didn't understand how good all that was. And so instead she's shifting to goblins, like goblins, they know what's it about. <laughs> they, they, they know community. They know independence. They've revolted all kinds of times. They control the economy. Goblins are where it's at. To the point that Rhonda says, are you going to rename it now? Is it going to be... Oh, God, what would that acronym be? Not spew. Spug? Spugwa? That probably means something in Goblin. <laughs> probably does. Uh, and maybe the house elves could take a few lessons from Goblins on, free, on freedom exercises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skeeter also just contributes to my, you know, possible feelings about Bagman when she just waltzes in and refers to him as the disgraced ex-head of sport, which... I don't know if she's being prophetic or, you know, predicting what will happen once her article comes well, out or if she does something eaters. we don't. So, like, bad things did happen, and he is no longer the head of sport because the event happened. So, while I think she has been loose... Has he been removed from head of sport? Well, like, it ended. So, like, I... I well, but he's, st- he's still in the ministry, though, is that position, though, right? I thought he was. I, th- I thought he was, but... Mm, yeah. But this is one of the things where I don't know if she knows something we don't and just hasn't come out publicly yet, hmm. which could also factor into various motivations for about it, or if she's just saying what effect and power her prose will have on the surrounding community. They do immediately yeah. detract from his position when the article comes out. Because the fact she refers to him as ex-minister of sport caught me off guard at the point I underlined. It's like, what is she saying there? Um, she then goes on to say as she's talking with our gang that... Oh, the things I could tell you would make your hair curl, except maybe you, curly-haired girl. <laughs> what? Why are you being coy? You're, you're, you're Rita Skeeter. Why aren't you just telling us now? Because well, then you can publish well, and you get know. readers. Yeah. Um, and and Stop being also, paid for it. I think it's part and parcel to her personality that it's like, I know things. And mm-hmm. whether or not I tell you is at, at the whims of my uh, lying feathers. Not not unlike how I feel throughout this podcast. <laughs> um, it, it's I'd be very curious to know what dirt she has on Bagman, and it just adds into the various theories I have about Bagman being central to Voldemort's plot. Uh, I I enjoy when Hermione gets pissed. There's no proc. There's no like build up to it. There's no <laughs> I'm at a two. Let's go to a four. Hermione has normal, pleasant working around you and. I want to ponder ways that I can bleed you and hang you by hooks. Spencer, how sympathetic are you to Hermione? Did you, do you feel like this is your character insert? Because I have never seen you slightly miffed. You either come in hot, like <laughs> a, a goddamn meteor hitting the ground, or you're just like, yeah, everything's fine. I will say that even down to the friggin' teeth before I had braces... Me and Hermione have a lot in common. <laughs> your, your, your hair is not particularly curly. If I grow it out fully, it goes full perm. It, it, it was, yes, there it were many wavy. months that it was loose locks, was, we might say. <laughs> so, yeah, her just having no buildup whatsoever, just perfectly normal to unannounced explosion of anger. I know that. I feel that. And it's fun to watch her play it out. And also just address why she has no fear of... Rita Skeeter at all is her explanation is my parents are muggles they don't read her paper (laughs) which is genius that's such a just what do I care the only people whose opinion that I actually care about are y'all and my parents 
Y'all aren't going to believe her, and they don't get the news. <laughs> I'm immune. It's such a great read. And it's fun to see Hermione on another mission of where she really is now dedicated to seeing Rita Skeeter go down. And what is the cause? She wrote another bad article about a friend, which she didn't seem to care that much about. But now she called her hair curly and called her little girl. And those cannot be forgiven. Apparently. Uh, we get a nice scene of Hagrid support. Of where the kids show up. Hermione practically beats down the door. Dumbledore's already there providing words of wisdom and emotional support for a long-term friend. And what I adore is all of the letters that Dumbledore's apparently gotten from prior teacher, from prior students, from prior teachers, from parents. Hagrid's a very well-liked figure, and it's something he needs to be reminded of more. Because he man's got a lot of self-loathing, a lot of doubts, as we're seeing more of the last couple chapters. And so seeing that the opinions of our trio are actually widely held is a heartwarming moment that he needed to get. Mm-hmm. Now, having met the guest professor, I am of the view that Hagrid is not the perfect guy for this job, but it is the perfect job for Hagrid. And I think that's where Dumbledore is coming from this. I kind of disagree with you. And the and the reason that I disagree with you is... On which point? That, that Hagrid's not the right person for the job. Okay. Because what these kids are getting is a lot more, what I would say is akin to a university-style education rather than middle school, high school, because I don't think there's a uh, collegiate or graduate school of wizarding that you really do. I mean, you can sort of go off and do your own research on dragons, but basically, unless you go into Quidditch, like, you're gonna be doing something either hilariously boring or hilariously dangerous, and it's (laughs) never clear what that's gonna be. And I think that having care of magical creatures be petting a unicorn is great for the people that really want to pet a unicorn, but terrible for as soon as they leave Hogwarts and the only unicorns that they want to see are going to skewer them. Okay. I accept your point, and I admit that Hagrid's style of teaching has its uses. However, I disagree with your characterization of the whole petting a unicorn thing. Hermione left that lecture saying she learned something. That's never happened before. That's ne- that is an unrecognized, unforeseen data point on our chart right now. Sure. That Hermione did not have this information going in. But I'm not that that's that's coming at it from a Spencer point of view where all information is information that you want, whether it's useful or not is different. I, I accept that. However, a class is only of a value to the degree that its students appreciate it. And it seems like the students got more out of the guest lecture than they've ever necessarily gotten or at least been admi- admitted getting out of Hagrid's teaching. Just Hermione, the degree that, first of all. Uh, no, 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 no. We had another one. She was uh, happy because they were unicorns and they Lavender were more Brown. appropriate animal. She was being animalist. Hey, hey. <laughs> if you got somebody that's having fun, they're paying attention, and they may learn something even in spite of themselves. Better than having to dodge screwed ins on a given daily basis. I but will say that I, Hagrid does teach his classes like that, to your point, BJ, like that university professor who has been contracted for a book and has not done the research for it and is using his class to, <laughs> to get the research done. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to refer to you each by your test subject designation. Pay no attention to that. <laughs> I, I think it's a contentious point, but in my view, a traditional lecture is often useful just because it's usually the format that most people get the most out of, at least in terms of useful information. And the people that go a little bit more zany 
it can work really well for certain people, but also put off a larger group. But it's subject to debate. Hagrid should maybe be available for independent studies. Yeah. He'd be a great guest lecturer. You bring him in for particular animal subjects at certain times. In terms of just carrying on a full course, I think he's getting better. Uh, one useful bit of philosophical advice is Dumbledore's comments on the impossibility of universal popularity. That's a hard lesson for people to actually accept and learn. Mm -hmm. It's one I really struggled with growing up is that you're never going to have everybody in your camp. There's always going to be people that disagree with you or just outright dislike you. And it's not a comment on you. And it's not something you should just take as utterly, you know, quashing of you going forward. That's a hard walk. Mm -hmm. That takes time to accept. And Dumbledore reiterating that not only to Hagrid, but also to an audience of young, impressionable adults. Useful damn wisdom. And I appreciated seeing it. Uh... Aberforth Dumbledore? Did I get this? Aberforth or Aberforth, Aberforth. yeah. Uh, And inappropriate charms with a goat. I assumed it was true, but it's Dumbledore. How would we know? (laughs) How would anyone know? Maybe he's just kidding around. This is just the power of Dumbledore. The man just says shit all the time. No one has any way of knowing whether what he's peppering in is true or not. They just think it's Dumbledore being Dumbledore-y. Yep. The idea that uh, Aberforth might not be able to read is very funny to me. It just doesn't know what's being said about him. <laughs> he didn't care at all. It was great. May not have understood what the actual subject matter was. Ah, details, details. Um, I don't know if you have gone down this rabbit hole, but there is a very funny uh, back and forth, mostly on Twitter, between a rapper and a boxer about the ability to read. And mm-hmm. if you are not familiar mm-hmm. with it, you should familiarize yourself with it because it is the one of the greatest things. And I do really like this, uh, which reminded me of it, where it's just like a, he can't read, it's fine. Like, I'm maybe the most well-respected wizard in the continent, and he charms goats. <laughs> I would, that uh, that controversy also comes specifically back to Harry Potter as a challenge was issued to read one page of Harry Potter. Yep. On air. <laughs> Um, I also like this chapter essentially ends with Hagrid doing his own version of win one for the Gipper in terms of the speech that he gives Harry. It's just like, you know, if you could just win one, win one for us, win one for our cause, it would be everything. Okay. Yeah. I suppose Harry actually winning this would be the ultimate triumph of Dumbledore's philosophy. I dispute to a certain degree whether that would be a good thing, but you know, kudos. I mean, Harry has bubbled through life so far and it's worked out i mean why should he change what he's doing harry is proving that you don't necessarily need to have your own talents if you have some really good friends and you know that is a philosophy to run on and it appears to be working for him i mean he just needs to find himself some really good friends i mean hermione's a good ron is ron is a a fast friend but he's not a good friend for harry (laughs) potter so so don't give me those weird looks sarah I, like, there is no I way that, that Ron is at all a good influence or particularly helpful. He happens to know how to play chess, and that has been his main contribution so far. I feel like his contribution is the rest of his family, who are sometimes yeah. useful. <laughs> I don't really need I mean, you, but the access later, to the rest. <laughs> what, I mean, the, use of, the use of Ron is he's the category of friend that when he's with you, he will walk into traffic for you. That's the kind of thing, though, is that he is just 100% with you or he's out. And most of the time he's with you, and that's useful. Doesn't necessarily have the most wide array of talents, but when he's not directly put off by a certain collection of his own issues, 
he will cut it. He will cut someone if you need him to. Yeah. And, and I think to your point, and I want to put a slight spit on that. He will walk into traffic and you're there and will say that it is for you. It might not be helpful. <laughs> he may also be walking into traffic for you because he told you it was a good idea and he's holding your hand. Ron Weasley, ineffectual support animal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I want, I, I want that like, on a cozy or something. It's just a perfect description Ron, of the Ron Weasley <laughs> is the, the Bill Goat that headbutts you of support animals. Well, it, it may be endearing. It's probably not helpful. Sir, you've given me an entirely new category of put down. I'm going to refer to someone someday as an ineffectual support animal. That'd be lovely. <laughs> All right, we we finished with that, Sarah. Yes. We you have options this chapter, not as many as we've had in the last yeah. few. Yeah. But winners and losers. Well, it's interesting because, like, for ninety percent of this chapter, Hagrid is obviously the loser of yep. this chapter. Things are not going well for him. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he is like effectively cheered up by the end of the chapter and has been given yeah. a great deal of support and like seems fine by the end of the chapter so i'm actually having a hard time calling him the loser of the chapter yeah he had almost his entire little hero's journey com- condensed into a single chapter just in terms of the arc that he went through yeah. he started out really damn low he rallied with his friends he discovered his powers and his virtues and he's found a cause to carry on he with had the man's the had character man growth help him out. Yeah, he even had the random old man give him give him the tools he needed. He has in fact been there and back again. Yes. So I don't. Yeah, I, that's a. I don't know about that one. Um, Ludo Bagman actually did not seem to have a great day, although Bagman, the weirdness of just what's going on with him it makes it a little unclear. Yeah. It's fun with Bagman is that he's having a bad day whether you interpret him literally or not. That if what he's saying is true. <laughs> He's having to work. Barty <laughs> Crouch is missing. He's had to send out people to look for Bertha Jorkins. This is his nightmare, if he's telling the truth. Oh, the worst of all if, possible worlds. If he's lying, then he's directly trying to work at a conspiracy that may bring down the government and lead to lots of people's deaths. Nothing's working out great here. I'm, and even um, that's not working but you well. Know, I, I yeah. will also put forth Dumbledore. In, in all, oh, please. Oh, interesting. Okay. Why? Why? Because Dumbledore is is sort of the sum of the school, and it's being attacked, and he like a friend has been hurt. Like Dumbledore is gonna have a hard time having bad chapters that affect him, at least for now. Uh, so like you know what what's happening other than like he's removed from the school for some reason or the school itself is being attacked and i think that this is like one of those where he's sort of invited the enemy within and it bit him that's that is true although he did get to be sort of vague and bumbly at people on screen which is sort of a win is one of his favorite things but he also he also got to tell children a story about his family and bestiality that that's a that's, that's a fun day for Dumbledore that's... just to be able to work that into also proper philosophical wisdom. Um, but it's it, it is an interesting point that sort of like the school's fate is is Dumbledore's fate, um, in a way. The other person that I would put forward for loser of this chapter, although it was sort of under the radar in the subplot as we talked about before, is the fact that Harry has made no progress on anything. Okay, and is so the chapter miserable? I think that. 
I feel like we made a rule that Harry causing himself problems is not bad things happen to Harry. I do not remember this rule. I, I wouldn't have agreed with it at the time. I don't remember. The plot this wouldn't exist if we couldn't take into account the fact that Harry is constantly shooting himself in the foot. And this is like an extreme, even for that set of rules, were they to exist, which I do not believe that they do. <laughs> This this is egregious. He's received the you know the goose that laid the golden egg, and he's not refusing to use anything with the advice. And I feel like had he not lied, it wouldn't have been quite as bad for him at the end. He could have just been like, "I'm working on it." Yeah. Or it's I, tough, and everyone would have been like, "Yeah, you know, hopefully you can figure uh, it out." Yeah. What can we do to help? <laughs> yeah. And- even if he actually found the advice opaque, Sarah, like you said, if he just said it out loud, Hermione's going to go, well, you totally just do this. Yeah. And it's solved. So I, oh, this is kind of a tough one. I, I, I am inclined to award loser of the chapter to Harry because I'm, I personally <laughs> am annoyed with him. In this chapter. I, I think so, that's actually a, in some ways, a better way of going about this book instead of instead of having the the house points loser be the person that that ends up poorly, the one that we're angry at and deserves to lose house points. That's yes, and for this chapter, it is Harry yeah. by leaps and bounds. I feel like this chapter, we're not saying that he lost on points; we're just calling him a loser, <laughs> and that, that works too. Um, winner of this chapter, listen. I know that we got some um, some indication that Hermione is gunning for her, which is not going to end up well for her in the long term, we might assume. Rita Skeeter is at the top of her game in this chapter. I'm with it. She has, she has published this scoop that is clearly making waves in the Wizarding mm-hmm. world. Um, she sort of got to get some revenge back on people. Um, got to talk shit about some people, and then, like, she's just wandering around Hogsmeade. Just, <laughs> just bothering people. Come. Great day. Yeah. So, actually, what? you brought up something really interesting, which, that would be a great job for Hermione, an investigative reporter. I mean, my presumption yeah. is oh, yeah. she's probably going to end up teaching at Hogwarts because that's Hermione, but I think, she, like, investigative reporter would probably be a better job for her. Yeah, I mean, when she gets something stuck in her craw, like she is going, she is going to figure it out. Yeah, um, it, it's it's almost useful. She went to Hogwarts. Otherwise, knowing every dentist family that I know, she would have been a dentist because <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen children of dentists escape that trend. That's a different type of stuck in your craw. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. Um. All right. So questions. Um. Can you reasonably tell us the two rather different accounts as to what happened to giants and the nature of what they interact with the ministry? Is one account more true than the other, or is it a combination of, of, of them? To what degree can you reveal the prior history of giants and their interaction with the Wizarding World? So I, I can tell you that, but what I will also say is that like we get a lot, uh, like some very concerted information about giants in the next book. Okay, um, I can wait. So I would, I would prefer for it to re- be revealed in that setting. Uh, I, I would too. I just want to make sure that w- it is we coming. do find out more clearly. Yeah, it is coming. Okay. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna look forward to that. I love differing accounts within the same text of the same history because mm-hmm. that feels so mm-hmm. much more authentic for how history works. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm in it. I want to know more about what this particular plot line is and what prior what are the sins of the fathers in this particular subject matter. Yeah. So our, mo- our mothers. In our this mothers. Case. Yeah. <laughs> do we know how long the various 
magical creatures or other races, magical races, have been interacting with wizards? Hmm. Like, how long have house elves been house elves? How long have the goblins been bankers? That is a really great question. I don't know. That feels like something that um, the internet probably knows. Yeah. Um, and there's a problem because sometimes when I look at those things, I yeah, find I'm out gonna, things. I'm going to yeah. look at it, look, just do a real quick search and see if I can find yeah. out. I feel like somebody has probably done the math on that. Um, let's see. The favorite things of fandoms, doing the math. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. While that's happening, Spencer, do you have a another question that we can... But I ask you the question because our current our, our current answer is doing research right now. Sorry, I can do other things other than just read. No, I can no, multitask. No, no. It's fine. Uh, uh, well, you know, a lot of my questions involve you, you know, giving away, you know, key information for later events. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this was a, a chapter where we got a lot of um. Here's setup one. information. Oh, I do have. So I have one sort of one answer to your question bj that Mm -hmm. gives a little bit of an indication so actually um gringotts wizarding bank was founded by gringotts who was gringott who was a goblin okay and the wizarding bank was founded in 1474 okay and gringott is in fact featured on a chocolate frog card Hmm. um the goblin rebellions were mostly in the 17th and 18th century Interesting. They're post-bank. I wouldn't have interpreted it mm-hmm. that way. Yes. Um, it was a stock yeah. market crash that got violent. <laughs> <laughs> the original Ponzi scheme. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, and so that seems to be... Oh, interesting. Okay, hold on. And then we might actually learn this in a later book, but the Ministry of Magic decree preventing magical beings other than wizards and witches from carrying a wand was passed in 1631. So this is actually like a... Yeah. Interesting. Well, that that actually squares interestingly then with the idea of when the Goblin Rebellions occurred because it was post various magical creatures getting involved in society Mm -hmm. and then suddenly they start passing these exclusionary measures. That's fun. That actually makes a certain degree of sense then. Yes. Um, And I imagine that some of these rebellions were also then like when that was being discussed and debated because it seems like one of the first rebellions was in 1612, Hmm. um, which would have been in kind of the, you know, the two decades leading up to that being passed, which like you have to imagine that that was in the air at that point. Bit contentious. Yeah. It's also also interesting from Rania's description that she seems to indicate some of the Goblin rebellions were actually successful. Or at least, you know, improved their overall position yeah. to a certain degree. Well, um, one practical question for me is kind of just going into how teachers are selected. Because one of the things that Rita Skeeter says is that the position for care of magical creatures is really in demand. That there's a lot of competition for it. There's a lot of their qualified applicants. But instead, Dumbledore went with Hagrid. Mm-hmm. I know that we've struggled to find a professor of the dark arts for prior years for varying reasons. Is that was that just purely because that position had such a cursed hex hanging over it, and that other positions are actually in demand? There's a lot of qualified applicants that are being turned away at the door. Yes, yeah, it is okay. specifically the Defense Against the Dark Arts position that they can't 
because they have had so much turnover and so much violent turnover um, in that position that nobody re- nobody really wants it anymore because they legitimately think it's cursed. Um, and, and we've just discussed this before, Spencer. That there like there are three jobs that you can have in the Wizarding World: it's Ministry of Magic, you can be a professional <laughs> Quidditch player, or you can teach at a school. Those are the only jobs we know, other than shopper innkeeper. Yes. So if you don't want to like be a, a shopkeeper. You have to keep applying to Hogwarts to hopefully get a job. Hogwarts has transitioned to the modern service economy, sir. This is, how, this is what jobs are in that day and age. Um, I mean, practical question as well is that, is Dumbledore the sole official that decides whether a teacher is employed or not? The Board of Trustees has no involvement at all in that? Yeah, I mean, I think as we have seen periodically, the Board of Trustees can sort of call for... A review. A review or removal. Or removal. Um, this will get a little trickier in the next book, as we will see. But for the most part, it's really Dumbledore's domain. Like, staffing is Dumbledore's domain. And very prescient uh, when the Board of Trustees steps in about somebody's hiring, firing, and other things, it gets contentious and can be a problem. (laughs) That's how that works. Um. Uh, any other questions for you, BJ? Because, Sarah, like you said, most of mine are just going to be plot issues that I'm sure I'll find out at some later point. I think I'm good. I'll try and think of some other stinkers for, for the next our next episode, <laughs> uh, which will 25. be Chapter 25. Um, and that is the... The egg and the eye. Yes. Uh, and it looks like a stinky egg, which is disconcerting. <laughs> I'm assuming that's magic-y stuff. <laughs> or... Do you have a better description for it, Sarah? It's magic-y stuff. There's not a name. It looks like it could be sulfurous. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think in certain eras that was magic-y stuff, so. <laughs> Why not both? I think that's a very useful universal catch-all term. Thank you. <laughs> magic-y stuff? Magic-y stuff. Okay. In effect, ineffectual support animals and magic-y stuff. That's what you can expect here on the pottering around. If there was a magical elementary school... If you're asking your five-year-old what you learned today, and they come back home and say, magic-y stuff. Perfect. Great stuff. Yeah. Y'all, this was a lot of fun. Yes. Looking forward yep. to the next chapter. As always. So then. Bye, guys. Magic-y stuff. <laughs>